Stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Happy Labor Day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of It Never Rains, the Oregon Ducks podcast here on The Athletic. Tyson Alger here, joined by a sleepy Aaron Ventress. I know uh, I know you had quite the adventure getting back from Dallas last night. Aaron, how are you doing this morning? You know, first world problems, but is there anything in travel more annoying than sitting on a plane that won't take <laughs> off for two hours and then getting off of it and then getting back on it and sitting on it for another hour and 15 minutes until it finally takes off? But I survived. I'm good. You you had the, uh, the the rough luck going down there and coming back um, because I did. I, I think just about every duck, you know, any, any person from Oregon traveling down there on on Friday probably got delayed at some point with those big thunderstorms in Dallas. So yeah, some was, people, some fans I talked to in the airport were, were telling me their stories. They were probably worse than the ones going back to Portland. And then a friend of mine, Ashley Young. From my former job, she got she got canceled, had to fly into Houston to get there and then drive from Houston to Dallas. So I'm not going to complain too much, but last night did kind of suck. <laughs> and, and and for, for Oregon fans, if, if if they were on that flight, too, that's a that's a rough way to come off of that game. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> no kidding. You can't get home to drown your sorrows in your own living room. Right. So if, if, if you're listening to this, we assume that you watch the game. But Oregon, Auburn. Didn't go Oregon's way. Uh, the the Ducks led for for much of the game. It ended up ending on a, essentially a, a Bo Nix, uh, pretty amazing drive led by that freshman quarterback. And then Oregon couldn't come back and uh, hit a quote unquote hail mary. It was a, a pass from Herbert from uh, about the thirty five yard line that sailed out of the end zone. Oregon moves to zero and one on the season. Uh, loses a top twenty five game, but there's some positives. There's some negatives from the game o- overall. I mean. It's, we, we've kind of had two days to digest this now, Aaron. Where, where are you kind of sitting on this game um, this morning? I'm sitting in the same spot I was that night. Uh, definitely a tough loss. It, you know, it's going to hurt if you're a Duck fan. It's going to hurt if you're a Duck player, obviously. Uh, but I think in the grand scheme of things, I, I, I never bought this team as a national championship contender. Uh, I think you know, losing this game is really going to hurt their chances of getting to the playoffs because they're probably not going to run the table. You have to go pretty much 12-1 and in the Pac-12 to have a chance to get into the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, that might be out the window. But at the same time, I think they showed that they have the potential to win the Pac-12, which should be the immediate goal. They haven't done that in the few, in like four or five years. So uh, that hope is not out the window, which means you could get to the Rose Bowl. You know, So to me, right. I think you walk away from this game thinking we didn't get smashed, you know, we didn't get pummeled. Uh, we played a, a strong SEC program. Although they were down a little bit last year, and who knows what they'll be this year, but they're still, a, a, they're still Auburn regardless. So I right. think you come away from this thing, you know what? I, we have some things to clean up, and we have a chance to win, win our conference. Yeah, and you know, e- even if this is like a down year for Auburn, which I don't think it's going to be, I, I think they'll be average to, uh, um, you know, good in the SEC. It, it's, it's not; it's a lot different than like an average Pac-12 team. It's not like a, a Colorado or a Cal or or any of those teams here. Um, it was a weird game, I, I think, just perspective wise, because I did get a sense from from some Oregon fans that there was a little worry of like. I just hope we don't get blown out. I, I hope we, we show up well. I, I hope we're able to compete. But then all of a sudden when the Ducks scored on two of their first three drives and, and should have scored on three of their first three drives, I, I think kind of that caution, I mean, that um, kind of that fear segued into a little bit of, 
oh my god, the oh, du- we got the ducks, this. The we ducks got might this. just yeah, the ducks might blow them out here. <laughs> We're going and, fifteen uh, and zero, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think just the way that the game kind of crumbled down after that is obviously very disappointing. Um, you know, it's 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 it was a very kind of knee jerk game, and I and I don't even mean that in just like in reactions after that, but just in the way that it kind of abruptly shifted, and and some of the ways that kind of Oregon you know, for lack of a, I mean, I think this is the right word that the ducks kind of blew it there at the end. Uh, I, I think it made for, uh, um, a pretty disappointing showing at the end, but you know, if someone were to tell you on Friday that Oregon was going to lose on a last second play to Auburn in, in a closely contested game, I, I wouldn't say people would take that, but they'd be like, okay, you know, that's not a bad result. We didn't embarrass the PAC 12 and all that, but, um, just the way the game ended drew a lot of criticism from, you know, kind of the fan level to, uh, even the national level. I know, but here's the thing, man. They never led by more than two possessions. And I've always been of the mind, if you're within two possessions with 19 minutes to go, like, <laughs> you, you know, you can win the football game. Like, it's, it, it's not that insurmountable. It's not even close to an insurmountable lead. So there's this, there's always been this mythology with fans that, oh, if we're up early, oh, we clearly were the better team. We were winning by such and such. We were win- No, that doesn't matter. It's a four-quarter game for a reason. Yes, they got hot, but from the second quarter on, the Ducks won gained 156 yards. And, and, and that's you know, the product of what I will preach all season. You couldn't run the football. You, know, you ran the football on the first. You couldn't run the football from then on out, and that put pressure on everything else, and everything else kind of collapsed. I think the better team won regardless of what people thought through three quarters because they were able to run the football. They rushed for over 200, and they played good enough defense from third quarter on to win that game where the Ducks, their inefficiencies in that area caught up to them yet again. Right. Because you can't, you know, people are complaining about, you know, they didn't throw deep. You can't throw deep when your quarterback's not going to have, have time. You're not going to sustain drives if you cannot run the football. You're just not. You can't throw quick screens the entire game. So I just think the idea that they had it won is never made any sense to me. They were in a position to win it, but there was always a lot of time on the clock. Auburn was never down more than two possessions. And, you know, best team won in the end. You know, I, I think um – I think Oregon's kind of depleted roster really kind of caught up to them there in that second half. I, I really like the way that, you know, the Ducks and Marcus Arroyo kind of scripted up those first three drives. And um, I just think after that, you know, you just saw a really talented Auburn defense catch up and kind of figure out that, you know, <laughs> as, as you were saying, uh, talking about like throwing deep, like we were watching that. It's not like Oregon's receivers were open all the no. time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I do think uh, – there's there's one drive in particular that was getting a, a bit of heat, and that was at the start of the fourth quarter um, when Oregon uh, – it, it was Oregon's first drive of the fourth quarter. It was in their own territory, first and ten. Uh, Verdell rushes for three yards, Herbert incomplete pass, and then on third and seven, uh, they had they had Verdell run for basically a two-yard gain, and then they punted. Um, I, I think that's when a lot of people were, were wondering how come you don't put the ball in Herbert's hands there and at least try to, you know, do something, um, especially when the running game wasn't, wasn't working well there. So I, you know, I, I think it's all, uh, uh, now that, that was the start of the fourth. I'm trying, yeah. to, find, I'm trying to try to find the, uh, find the play sheet here. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can nitpick, nitpick play calling. All we want. I'd have to know more what was in their head. I can't remember if anyone asked them about that. I don't believe they did. But where, where <laughs> the, were they on the field? They they were in Oregon territory there. Deep. Yeah. So so it was it was it was it was essentially they they got the ball 
and they went three and out in their own territory and then punted. And then I think that yeah. that ended up leading to an Auburn touchdown. And um, yeah, it was just weird. It was like a th- on third and seven, it was basically like a draw play for Verdell. And this was as Oregon's getting no push, as Auburn's front seven's um, kind of heating well, up well, there. So it, so it was a draw? Uh, I'll have to go back and look at it. But I mean, if it was a draw, then what they're saying is we don't think we're going to get the protection. We're deeper on the territory. We have a two-touchdown lead. You don't need push on a draw because you're actually you're absorbing the pass rush and then letting the back sneak, sneak, sneak through. Um, and they, you know, so yeah, people can say, be more aggressive there, be more aggressive. Okay, fine. They could have been more aggressive. That didn't lose in the football game. Like, oh yeah. No, they, they ran no. 90 plays, you know, or, 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 you know, 75, 80 plays. Um, I have to go back and look at that play as well, but you know, okay. Uh, you know, I, I can concede that maybe they should have gone for it, but Auburn didn't score a touchdown because they didn't go for it. You know, if they get the first down there, they're going to get the next first down. Auburn's going to get the ball back eventually. So the bottom line is through three quarters, they couldn't move the football because they couldn't run it. And, you know, when we get to talking about Herbert, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll have some other information about why the passing game wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> does, does this does this change your, your opinion of Oregon at all for, for good or for bad? Uh, I, I think. For good, I can I, you know, yeah. I said this. I said this last week. I said if they lose a close game, that is a good day. And it's easy for me to say that because I'm not emotionally invested. If I was emotionally invested, I'd still, you know, be freaking out right now, right? And what's funny is, I, after we did all the interviews and I finally made it back to the press box, I remember my son was watching the game, so I and he gets really emotional when his teams lose. And I texted my wife and I was like, "Did Peyton cry?" And she responded, <laughs> "No." I said, "Is Peyton crying?" She goes, "He's not right now." <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he went ballistic when he scored that touchdown. So, you know, if you're if you're invested in it like that, you're still bummed. If you're objective like we are, you you aren't, and therefore you can look at it differently. And I think they came away with a good night. Like I, I think they're gonna be a, a good football team. I think they're gonna be better than last year. I love what they did on defense. Um the potential is there to be a really good defense. We'll talk more about that later. Like I said, I think they can. I'm not saying they're going to, I think they can win the Pac twelve. And I think they showed well in Dallas. It just didn't work out. And that's sports, yeah. man. I I agree. Uh, I feel like if this game was in like week three instead of week one, where we had eight months of build up to it, the reaction would be a little bit different because it wasn't just like everything was hanging on this first game of the season. Because, I you know, talent and personnel wise, I, I think Oregon completely showed that it, it, it could hang in these games. Um, just like you talked about, I was I, I thought Oregon's defense was the most impressive unit on the field for the Ducks at times in this game. Um, yeah, I I I, I it, it changes my outlook on how I think Oregon matches up against some Pac-12 teams because I I think this Oregon team showed that it can be pretty good and you know I a lot of people forget the fact that they were down their top three of their top four wide receivers and Cam McCormick who is plays a very large role in that running game so. Uh, I, I do think you can come away being pissed about the game in general, uh, but in terms of just losing and thinking you had it and, and all that and, and whether or not you think the, the uh, how much the coaching decisions uh, affected your mood <laughs> following that game. But uh, this Oregon team looks good. I, I, I think that they're going to be talented and uh, they're going to win a lot of games this year. What do you think about Herbert? Uh, I thought Herbert looked looked. Like an NFL quarterback, unlike Skip De- what Skip Bayless said. No, he said he said he didn't see a great quarterback. But I thought the overreaction that was, that was I guarantee I guarantee that's trolling. the first full game that he's ever seen Justin Herbert play if he even watched the thing. <laughs> you might be right, but I thought that tweet was funny. Um, 
I, you I'll, know, I'll give that guy credit. He knows exactly when to like tighten the screws. Oh, he knows. He knows the most. Just to get the most trolly reactions, you know. Um, and he never responds, which I, I think is just amazing will, will, willpower. But he doesn't care. Yeah, you should um, learn. You should learn that. I have to. Actually, I've gotten a lot better. But anyway, we digress. Uh, no, I, I thought he looked. I thought he looked sharp. I thought he looked good. He made some some very impressive throws. Um, you know, I've, I've never made any secret about how much I appreciate his abilities since he was a, he was a freshman. So I, hey, I would, thought, you, would you would you like to use this as like a uh, an opportunity to uh, admit that the throw to Spencer Webb wasn't a flop, wasn't a floater, it wasn't a duck. That was that was a straight up bullet that he threw with a defender right in his face across the field. It didn't flutter uh, a little bit. No, no, that was a that was a bullet. What was it? A, was it a, was it a fluttering bullet? No. <laughs> No, a, flut- a fluttering bullet. It looked like what it is- had. It looked like it had some wobble to it. Is what I'm saying. Okay. No. No. You no. studied it. You stu- I know you Zapruder filmed it, so I'm just. You know, we we, we brought in now. the guys from sports science, and it was actually a 98 <laughs> percent uh, efficient spiral, uh, which you know the average pass is about 92. So it still should have never been completed, though. At poor DB. Oh he's man, gotta, he's gotta make a better <laughs> that, play on than that. If, if if Oregon would have won that game, that Spencer Webb play would have gone down as like one of the best highlights. Like you know, it's, especially if like this Oregon season goes on to do something um, special towards the end. <laughs> having having a guy in the first game against Auburn, first mossing a guy, and then Iverson and him. Um, that was really impressive, especially for a guy Spencer Webb who uh, has been like number four on the tight end step chart. Didn't start playing. Uh, with the receivers until about like a week or two ago. That was a, uh, that was, that was a fun one followed by uh, uh, the internet went kind of crazy for that. But uh, I'm with you on Herbert. I thought, I thought he played really well in this game. He was down three of his top four receivers. He still completed 76% of his passes. Um, in the second half, they were a lot shorter passes. His completion per, or his, his yards per completion went down from like 12.2 in the first to 6.6 in the second. But I do think a lot of that was the way that Auburn was responding uh, with their coverage and 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 the fact that Oregon's running game just turned into absolutely nothing. Um, well, they okay. So Oregon had two longish pass plays in the first quarter. The one to Webb, twenty six yard touchdown, right? And then like a and John Johnson, a Johnson on the, on the play action deep cross right. where there, there was no one there. Almost every other completion from the start of the game on were short completions. Their game plan clearly was to get rid of the ball in space to Red and Johnson and those guys with quick screens. It was like they were quick screens and rollouts 95% of that game from start to finish. And that's because, and a lot of people complain about this, how come they didn't throw deep more? How come they didn't throw deep more? Well, one, you just talked about, you're down three of your best receivers. So I I guarantee you from a coaching standpoint, when you have a depth chart and three of your best five receivers are out, the other guys have some deficiencies in terms of, what they could do. Now you still have Johnson and you still have red and they're obviously good receivers, but you don't have anyone who's going to blow the top off the defense. You don't have a big target like, um, uh, Jawan to go to on, you know, on a, on a back shoulder fade or just down the sideline, throw it up, let him go get it. You don't have that working for you. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're relatively young at that position. You know, Addison's out there. Um, Delgado's out there. Like, you know, these guys are not necessarily ready for this type of stage and go out there and route, Auburn DBs, okay? So 
you know you're going to struggle rushing the football against that front seven, which they did. You know they're going to bring gas at you, and they're going to come. And they know going in they're going to have trouble protecting. So if you can't protect, protect, you can't go deep. If they would have called more deep routes in that game, Justin Herbert might not be available for Nevada. And I'm not exaggerating. So I went through, and I only got through to the end of the third quarter, but I went through every pass play. And, you know, long story short, Every time he did a straight, Herbert did a straight drop back, even if he play faked a little bit first or what have you, if he went three or five step drop into the pocket, he had huge pressure every single time, except for one. There was one I found where he didn't have much pressure because they only rushed three guys, okay? And he had no, he had no pressure, but there were eight covering three because seven stayed in protection. You know, Breland leaked out late and he threw it into the flat. So... This idea that they should have just thrown it deep, I guarantee if they just threw it deep, he would have thrown a couple more picks or gotten hammered. So their game plan was sound. It's how you have to operate when you know you're going to lose the line of scrimmage, which they did. So the complaints about that are ridiculous. And how Herbert handled all that was great because Herbert didn't do what? He didn't panic and throw it to the other team. You know, right. if you're a quarterback, you're under pressure in the pocket. You got these these future NFL guys coming breathing down your neck. Sometimes guys will just throw it up to somebody, and that's how you get picks. He never did that once, which is a sign of intelligence. So I think the crying about the play calling in that regard is ridiculous. Uh, people do not understand how you have to navigate through pressure against a front seven that's superior to your your guys in the box. Oregon's got a good offensive line, but they were not up to that challenge. Um, and that's no – that's no knock on them. Auburn's really good, and they do what they do. So I thought Herbert played well given the game plan he had to go with against that type of team. I think he's going to light up the Pac-12 this year for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so I give him an A performance for the day. Also, he did <laughs> – there was a lot of people, just because it was the final play of the game, um, he, he drew a lot of Twitter criticism, which is take it for what it's worth, which is nothing. Uh, throwing it out <laughs> of the back of the end zone? Yeah, throwing it out of the back of the end zone. The, even if he, I mean, look, he, he should have been able to give the team a chance. Ultimately, he gave them no chance there, but nobody was coming down with that ball. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a 1% chance at best to begin with a good pass. I mean, there, there was that great, you know, you and I will never forget that, that at uh, Vernon Adams at Arizona State game, you know, that when he rolls around and throws it up in the back of the end zone, Stanford catches it uh, for wall, whatever wall reason. Colliding, wall colliding with Johnny Munt. Right, biggest right. Hit of, biggest and, hit of that game. And there's no SU, ASU defender near the ball, which was hilarious. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, but it's one of those things where that's just frustrating because you want to have a chance, right? Um, but still, you're, you're, you're still begging for a 1% chance on something like that. But no, I thought, I thought all told and everything he had to deal with and contend with in that game, uh, I thought he did a good job because he did not his, – his one fatal flaw, really, was the bobbled handoff. I mean, that that was a killer. But realistically, the, uh, he threw three touchdowns. Right. Yeah, n- no kidding. Um, wait, 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 he threw – wait. No, he, he threw he, one. He, he threw two. He, he, he had one, and then he hit Brian, a- or Brian Addison. So realistically, he, yeah. threw, he threw three. Um, excuse me, realistically, he threw two, yeah. And then to that, that one handoff, that killed him. Because had he at least gotten a field goal out of that, that might have changed things a little bit as well. Yeah, that was that was a tough play to Brian Addison. That was that was an absolute bullet thrown by Herbert to a receiver who probably wasn't expecting to play that type of role in this game. And so tough pass, pass to catch, but like in this type of game, like as, as you were saying yesterday as we were going through the airport, next year people are going to be catching that for Herbert. 
Yeah, he, he he threw a dart though, dude, man. You, I mean, that was that was Addison's first game. He's a redshirt freshman, right? I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that, but right? he, he played. He played. Uh, oh, he got. Okay, he, he, he might have. He yeah. might have played a game or two last year. I don't, I don't yeah. quite remember it. Right but now. that was. But that was probably his first like serious it, high leverage game right. action. It was, it was the first game where he's expected to do anything. Right. And he's in the back of the end zone, <laughs> and here's his future first round pick just throwing a dart at him. I mean. It, when you when you see it from the end zone view, and you see he he has his hands up like he's ready to catch it with his hands, and then adjust to catch it with his chest, and you know, having been in that situation in my life where something like that's coming at you that fast, that's the reaction you, you make when you're like, "Holy crap, that thing is coming hot!" Right, and you just try to instinctively catch it with your body when you're not ready to make that type of catch with your hands, and unfortunately, it went right off his shoulder pads. That was unfortunate. And then, but, at, but but then uh, they missed the field goal. Yeah, that that was so the rough two, part. Right, because, so you had two freshmen back to back blowing you a chance of seven, and blowing you a chance of three, which is a sign of how young you were. That was the I, I. There's a lot of worse moments in the game, I think, in terms of like what overall affected it. But having missing that chip shot after a year where you couldn't make a field goal, where you came into camp with a, with basically a, a kicking battle between Adam Stack and Camden Lewis. And so you trot out Camden Lewis for his first career field goal attempt from the, what was it? It was like from like the five, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, that poor kid. That, that was, that was a rough one. Also, can we just take a moment to appreciate Aiden Schneider for a second? Because for the last Two days, I've been getting message after message of how come we can't recruit a kicker? How come we can't recruit a kicker? How come we can't just pull one of these guys from a soccer team out in Eugene? It's been two years since Oregon had a really good kicker for four years. That's not to say that this year's kick or last year's kicking was good, but it's, you know, give Aiden Schneider his props. <laughs> you know, he, he, he was pretty good. Hey, I, I got one more thing to point out. So okay. all this belly aching about the play calling, right? So I went back and I found that that uh, the end of the game. So the Ducks get the ball with 431. They're at one point, mm-hmm. right? They're on their own 18. Conservative would be run, 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 punt. They threw the ball the first two times and got a first down, mm-hmm. both to red, quick passes. That's not being conservative. Then they ran for three, get the clock going. So they had the clock rolling. Then, then they passed again, trying to be aggressive. And, oh, Herbert got sagged. You know, a sign of that whole pressure situation. I can't remember if that was a drop back or if that was a, a, um, a, a excuse me, a, a deep drop or a, a quick drop that went awry. I imagine if he got sacked, he didn't get rid of the ball quickly, which meant he probably dropped back on that. I, that's probably why we're in the elevator. We missed a lot of that last drive for Oregon because we're on the elevator going down. So timeout Auburn. Then it's third and fourteen, and they tried to throw and it was incomplete. Um, sorry, pass completed to, to die for seven yards, and then they end up punting. So I remember there was some complaining about how they managed the clock there, but there's, there's, they're trying to be aggressive. And, and Crystal Ball said after the game, we felt we needed to score. And it looked like, you know, they were trying to move the ball, at least out of the territory right there. Now, the, the previous drive, they had the ball with 948, and they were being pretty aggressive there too with the lead, and they were throwing the ball and doing it, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was some complaints and some people writing about they, they could have burned more time, therefore they would have won because Auburn scored with nine seconds left. That is so completely ridiculously wrong i can't even it just it drives me it makes it just gets me all frustrated and fired up because the assumption there is that well auburn scored a touchdown with nine seconds had you run off more time they wouldn't have had time to score the fallacy in that is that if i'm auburn and i get the ball with 207 which is what they did my mindset and my game plan at that point is completely different than if i got the ball with 107 so you can't assume I'm going to run exact same types of plays 
and lose that much time if I had 107 right. as I did 207. Well, so that that's that is a really good point, but also the fact that I mean 107 is a much different amount of time for a true freshman quarterback who had been bad for about 98% of that game up until that point. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have been able to put together another good drive there because that last drive he did do was superb. He 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 played fantastic on there, but just Having that time for a guy in that situation who hasn't been in that situation before, I'm not saying that the result would have been different. It just would have been more pressure on him, and and potentially you might have gotten a different result. Well, so here's the counter to that. His two biggest plays occurred with the least amount of time. Mm -hmm. So the idea that he was going to fold under pressure with less time doesn't make sense because he completed that long pass to get him into field goal range with 30 seconds left. So here was a guy who had the stones to pull that off. Why wouldn't he have done that? if it was a re- different type of 30 seconds because he had less, t- less time to get to that point. And his touchdown pass came with nine seconds to go. So we're supposed to believe that this freshman quarterback was going to choke had they got the ball with lesser time when the guy's biggest two plays of that drive occurred in the final 30 seconds of that drive. And the reason why the drive took longer than it did is because they threw a ton of short little stuff. They bar- I mean, the first first down they got, it took four plays to get it, and he had to run for it. So they were, th- they were being really concerned because their goal at that point was simply to get into field goal range. They were trying to go on a 30-yard – I can't remember where they got the ball. They had the ball at the Auburn 40. So they basically were trying – with, with uh, I think, 214 left. Their goal was to gain at least 30 yards in two minutes. That's how you're calling – and if you get into that range, now you're thinking, okay, can we score a touchdown? But that's your goal. So they're only trying to gain 30 or 40, 35 yards to win the game with the field goal. You don't need – Two minutes for that. So had they run at Oregon, run off a complete minute, that doesn't mean these guys wouldn't have gotten a field goal range. It's, it's, I'm telling you, man, it's a completely ridiculous and invalid point to even bring that up into this because of what this guy did in the final 30 seconds of that drive with the two biggest passes. Those could have come early in the drive. That's all I'm saying. So you're a big believer in college kickers is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm a big believer in how you manage the clock and Auburn would have managed the clock differently. And the, tu- and, the, and the thing is, so, okay, the touchdown pass came late in the drive because they were already in field goal range. Right. Because they, when, they, they, had, an, well, when, they, they, they had enough time where they were able to take a shot in addition to being in field goal range. Right, 100%. So all they, but all they had to do to get into field goal range was gain 30 yards right. to get into field goal range in the first place. So if they, if they only had a minute left, you're telling me they can't gain 30 yards in – in 40 seconds and still have a shot to go deep when they just gained, when they just gained, uh, what was a touchdown pass? How long was that? How long was the touchdown long pass? Long enough. When they what, just gained what, 50 what, yards in two plays? It doesn't every, make sense. Or 40 yards? Every, everything, everything you're saying makes sense, but as someone like you, who you like to dabble with coaching on, on uh, you know, in, in your personal life, you played a little bit. There is just a different amount of sense and urgency between one minute and two minutes. I, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have been able to get in field goal range, all that, yada, yada, yada. I'm just saying that there's more pressure on you when there's one minute than two minutes. There's just, there's just less time. With two minutes, you, you have more time to make mistakes. Is that I, not true? Is that not true? They were the most productive on that drive in the final minute. He converted a fourth down and he completed a long pass to the side. That was a beautiful throw, by the way. All of that inside the final minute. That, that play right there got them into legit field goal range. With, and that play was completed with about 30 seconds to go. So again, your theory is that this kid's going to crumble under pressure if he had less time. Well, he only had 30 seconds right there and he got a great, off a great pass to get them in field goal range and then came back and threw a touchdown. So how does that 
how is any of that not destroy the theory that the kid would have folded if he had lesser time to start the drive? It doesn't make any sense. It's completely I'm not, I'm not saying he would have folded, but you're sitting here going, well, you can't do a hypothetical with a hypothetical, and now you're throwing another hypothetical at Cause me. Because my, so. hypo- my hypothetical <laughs> is legit because the guy scored. No, no, your, your hypothetical is legit because you can yell louder than me into a microphone. Let's move on. Am I on. yelling? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's 8 a.m., man. It's a holiday. If you guys weren't aware before, the sound effect you're hearing is rain and an umbrella shielding us. We were trying to play into the hole. We weren't affected by the rain bit. Anyways, after the Auburn game, we thought of promoting one of our SEC podcasts on The Athletic. So grab your tissues and listen to the Despondent Tennessee Volts podcast, Pod for Life, hosted by David Ubbin and Joe Rexrode. David and Joe drop new episodes twice weekly on Mondays and Thursdays. So make sure to download, rate, and subscribe to Pod for Life to help the guys out. And click follow on the show page for push notifications when shows release. All right, let's close the umbrella and get back to the show. Let's 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 move on to a positive here. Uh, Andy Avalos' debut as defensive coordinator, I thought the defense looked awesome. Um, I, I came away specifically just blown away by the play of Javon Holland, who already impressed last year. But I legitimately think he's the best player on this defense right now, which might make him one of the better players on this team uh, outside of Herbert. He he had an interception. He had four really good tackles. He had 132 punt return yards. Um just an absolute stud who uh, might only be playing here for another year if he if he keeps this up. Well, I can tell you right now that uh, my um, stockbroker has been instructed to purchase as much stock in Young Holland on Tuesday <laughs> when the stock market opens because that kid is just so much fun to watch. He's so he's so fluid, like the way he moves. He's he's. He's got those, like, he's one of those things where the scouts will nitpick, you know, the fluidity of his safety, his hips, how he moves, all that kind of stuff. He's just got it, man. He's got, he's got range. He's got, he's, he's, he's lengthy. Um, he's, he's obviously talented. He's smart as hell, which is one of the reasons why he did so well last year, how he tracks down the ball. He's, he's always in the right position to get picks. Um, most of the interceptions you get, especially as a safety, are the product of bad passes because you're in the right spot. And that's what he does. He learned a lot of that from his father, uh, Robert Holland, who played uh, safety um, at Sac State and in Canada uh, and was with the 49ers for a little bit. So he came up, you know, having learned a lot about football from the ins and outs from, from a football dad. Um, no, this, this kid's big time. Um, he's going to be fun to watch. And the fact that he's returning punts, too, is fun to watch because those, those two returns were both very nifty. Dude, that that's that's what impressed me the most because I mean, like we knew this guy could play in the secondary. Uh, you know, as a, as a freshman last year, he he led the team in interceptions um, and was just just very sound overall the whole year. I I was impressed by uh, the way he kind of commanded the defenses uh, in this game. Uh, I wrote this in my takeaways, but you can kind of see him pointing out a route on the, on the one that uh, Thomas Graham came up with that pick. You know, this is a sophomore who has the confidence to to kind of have that sort of communication. Um, even with some of his older teammates, but I just didn't know he could do that like that on the punt return. He, he looked absolutely electric back there and, and Oregon's Oregon has a pretty strong history of having some really good punt returners. Uh, but it just kind of feels like it's been a bit since, I mean, this isn't to take anything away from Ugo Amadi last year, who was good, but like Holland just looked absolutely electric on that, um, yesterday. So I was, I came away very impressed with that kid. Yeah, agreed. He definitely looked a, a step above as a return guy from Amadi, who was pretty darn good by the way, but he's, he's just, he's, he's more athletic overall. Um, I don't know if their, their 40 times are probably close, but Holland just a little bit longer stride. And what was fun about him, and this is like, Holland's got a little more size too. Yeah, definitely. When you watch returners, especially on on punt returns, uh, you, you want to be because punt returns are the most 
stressful because they're right on you right now. But there's that little moment in there where you got to be alert and sudden, but also a little bit patient to right. let a, a block develop or what have you, and then hit it. And that's what he did. He like just navigated through it beautifully, but at a at a pace. He wasn't just like you know, hundred miles right. an hour. And that's, that's always fun to watch. And he just, he has that natural instinct and intuitiveness to do that. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to be pretty, he's going to break, he's going to break a lot this year. That that was one of the things that I liked about like the press box position at AT&T stadium too. At, at Autzen where we have the same like view that like the TV cameras do. So you kind of have that side view at uh, AT&T. It was kind of more, we're kind of in the back corner. So it was a little bit more of a vertical view. So you could kind of see the way that those blocks and plays were developing. And it was, um, yeah, just, just seeing that kind of patience mixed with a little bit of that speed was, uh, um, the kid's going to be good. That kid's, kid's going to be good. And yeah, it kind of looks got, he's like got potential. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he, he might, he might, give, he might make it in this league. Give that man a scholarship. <laughs> just, you know, just like the Nevada kicker. Um, but I mean, overall though, I mean, you know, Holland was great. Um, I thought Thomas Graham was good in this game. Uh, I thought, uh, I thought Jordan Scott had a really good game. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, for, for a de- debut for a, a new defense and Andy Avalos, uh, up until, you know, that final drive where I, you know, I just think that the, they were pretty gassed at that point. Um, and, you know, it's uh, Verone McKinley kind of took took some guff for, for allowing that final pass play to happen. But, you know, that's, you know, that's football there. That that, that happens. Verone's a good player. He's, he's young. He'll he'll come back from that. But, uh um, yeah, I, I, I was very impressed with Oregon's defense in this one. Yeah, they did. They did a good job. Um, there's one caveat though. Well, if okay. you deal with here me, we. there's always like a list of caveats, right? Yeah, here, here so, we so <laughs> wait, wait, can, wait, can you pronounce that again? Caveat? C- that caveat. Uh, it's caveat. No, it just sounds, it just sounds funny coming out of your mouth. Oh, my bad. Um, yeah. anyway, <laughs> <laughs> should it be caveat? Yeah. Uh, right, anyway, yeah, t- t- I like caveats. With, I like mm-hmm. caveats with my Grey Poupon. Anyway, mm-hmm. so okay. here's the question. Okay, first of all, the game plan to get after Knicks, that's what you do with a freshman quarterback. It didn't seem like every play there was someone coming, like a delayed blitz off the edge, up the middle, somewhere someone was getting after that boy to make him make decisions. That was obviously the, the good thing. That big boy Mace Funa coming after him. Yeah. Uh, uh, Samson knew. Samson knew. Good to see yeah, you. Yeah, he, he had a great one too. A nice sack. Yeah. So they were sending multiple you know, guys after him, different different guys from different places. Holland, he, Holland did have one mistake. He came through on a blitz and didn't break down and got juked by Knicks. You got to break down a little sooner than that, big boy. But other than that, they did a great job of putting him in bad situations. He responded late, but early on, he didn't. So that brings the question in, though. Did they look good against a freshman quarterback or did they look good all around in general? We don't know. That's going to be a test that's going to be, you know, answered later in the season because it's always a thing. You have to, you know, good. Sometimes mediocre offenses look make defenses look good. And you don't know really what that defense is about until they face a better offense. And we have a true freshman quarterback playing in his first game, you got to at least wonder about that. The other thing is they did give up 200 yards rushing. Now, Auburn does that. That's what they do. They run the ball very well. But, you know, I look down the road. If they play another good team with a seasoned veteran quarterback, they give up 200 yards rushing against a veteran quarterback. Now you're in trouble. Now this 383 becomes, they allow total becomes 483. Um, so still a little bit of, you know, of question mark there. But for the most part, 
man, there's some talent out there. There's some speed. There's some quickness. There's some power. There's some versatility. They can, you know, they're going to they're gonna mix up the fronts. They have the players to do that. So all told, I came away with very positive vibes about the potential of this defense. Same here. All right, let's let's wrap this thing up by uh, jumping into some uh, Twitter questions here. Um, I was bored on the flight yesterday, so put out a little. Uh, um, I saw that. I couldn't get Wi-Fi on my flight. Well, you know, I uh, that, that made my delays even worse. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> all right, so 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 let's go through some of these. Aaron, you can't talk the whole time during all these. You know, we got to wrap this thing up at some point. Um, all right, wow. this comes. Well, no, you know, just uh, I had a shot, a double, a double shot of. Uh, Starbucks before we started, so I'm kind of amped. <laughs> a double shot, double doink, go Bears. Um, all right. Let's, 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 let's start this out. It goes from at uh, Mini Lee Corso. That's a, that's a great name. Uh, <laughs> is Auburn the better team? Auburn won. So right now, yes. That's all you see. You don't want me to talk as much, but then that's all you got. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Go. You go. Oh, uh, I, I, that's that's uh, a tough one. See? I, yeah, I uh, <laughs> yeah. Eh. You think it? Okay, I'll go first. Okay, so here's here's the deal. Front seven, fierce for them. Their running game was better than Oregon's running game, but then they're going against a different, you know, type of defense. Um, I would say that if they played that game ten times, it would probably be six four Auburn. Um, because I, I'm I'm a big believer, and you know, it, it's it's about what you do in the box. The box determines a lot of everything, and Auburn won both set, both sides of the line of scrimmage. They rushed for 200, and they stuffed Oregon's run game and put enough pressure on Herbert to the point where Oregon was scared to throw deep, and rightfully yeah. so. So I think or- Auburn was the better team. I think Oregon got hot in a quarter. That does right. not make you the better team. Um, from the I, I think, quarter I think on, I, they lost. I, I think Auburn was better than this Oregon team. Uh, I, I'm, I'm mixed on whether – of how the game would have gone if you would have had Juwan and Micah and, and Schooler out there. I, I think it would have been a different story. Maybe maybe somebody comes down with that pass from uh Addison drop. Um, yeah. But yeah. but that's the team Oregon trotted out there. You gotta play with what you got and uh Auburn won. New, neutral field. Neutral Auburn. field too. This wasn't this wasn't a long way from Eugene at all. <laughs> it wasn't um Auburn was also minus its best receiver, right? The deep threat Schwartz kid. Yeah, it's just you know, throw that out there. Yeah. He might he might have gotten loose on a play action deep bomb on somebody you never know so all right but, let's let's move let's move on to the next question thank you many Lee Corso um, I've, I've always wanted to be asked a question by Lee Corso especially <laughs> a small one so uh, this one from Jason Dillon at GP Jason in your opinion what percentage would you assign the following reasons for the second half stagnant offense one play calling two lack of skilled receivers three Auburn's defense four Herbert five other six me sitting in a different chair during the second half it's definitely the chair during the second half if you see your team come out just guns a blazing in the first half with that sort of offense you don't change chairs that's just a rookie move i understand that it's not a conference i understand that it's early in the season but come on man like this is your fault jason you're the reason that oregon lost this game no no other <laughs> um so what's so what's your answer to that question um i'm gonna say auburn's defense you know, I, I, I think at, um, I think they just got comfortable. And, and you kind of heard the Auburn players talk about that afterwards. You know, they, they were kind of uh, – Oregon went at them that first three drives, and then they just kind of settled in. And, and this was uh, – I, I really think kind of Auburn's front line um, looked as advertised towards later towards the end of the game, especially stuffing up that run game. And, and that completely limited 
what the Ducks were able to do because, you know, as you mentioned early in the game, a lot of some of those bigger pass plays were, were set up by play action and uh, there was just no real threat of the running game there in the second half. So I, I think that was kind of more of it than, um, I mean, you could talk about the uh, lack of skilled receivers too, but uh, I think people kind of forgot that Auburn had a really good defense and it just woke up there in the second half. 100% agree with you. Uh, you, you know, you remember the Washington game with Burmeister started? Uh, in 2017. Yeah, that was cold as hell that yeah. game. The first drive of that game, I think they went like almost the length of the field and got a field goal in like eight minutes. And the whole drive was just quick passes and running and Freeman, right? And they were able to move down the field to do that. But you can only do that for so long. Because once you demonstrate that you can't go deep because you don't have time and that you can, and the defense demonstrates that they can cover you and pressure you, then they're going to start taking away the short stuff so that the short stuff isn't as impactful. You're not getting eight or nine yards on a quick screen or a bubble screen. You're only getting two or three. And remember there was a third down. They ran a, a, a little quick screen to Giant Johnson, and the DB just threw Jalen Red aside and went and made the tackle. So, and there was another play where it was clear. They were empty backfield. Empty backfield. You know they're going to throw a quick screen. They jumped all over it. The vertical guys were, were uh, um, covered as well. So it was like there was nowhere to go. I think Herbert ran or something like that. So once you figure that out as a defense, the game changes. So when people are complaining about being conservative or the play calling or what have you, what are you supposed to call? Like the only thing you can do to counter that situation is to throw more intermediate and deep routes. But if you don't have the time, you're not going to have success, which they did not have success. And forget the Giant Johnson play. That was a beautiful, beautifully designed play. But you cannot run play action with, a, with a, a short roll all game long, especially when you can't run the football. Because if I know you can't run the football, I don't care about your play action, and I'm going to send pressure off the edge. So when Herbert runs that short roll, I'm going to knock his head off when he comes up and looks on field. So you, that was a great play. But what Aubrey will say is we probably blew a coverage. So for me, it was what you just said. The front seven dominated that game, and once Auburn figured it out, they blanketed deep in case Oregon tried to go deep, and they stuck and got in the face of Oregon's receivers to try and take away some of the short stuff, and you couldn't run against that. You were screwed. So the first quarter was an anomaly. What these teams, teams are against each other from the second quarter on, that's the reality, and that's why Auburn won. All right, next question comes from Kenny Brophy at KJ Brophy. It's a two-parter. First one, when it's all said and done, where do you think Javon Holland will rank among the best Oregon's best defensive players ever. Two, who was the last reliable kicker Oregon had? That's Aiden Schneider. Aiden Schneider, Grant it. High School, yo. How, <laughs> how soon people forget? Yeah. Right, poor Aiden. Maybe, maybe we'll have Aiden on the podcast at some point. We to, should. Uh, def- hey. defend, his, defend his honor. Uh, it, it, that would actually be a pretty good interview. Aiden was always a, a fun fun player to talk to, a funny guy. Um, Javon Holland as Oregon's best defensive players. This is way too early to talk about that, but... You know, Oregon's had some pretty good players in that secondary over the years, and a good chunk of them are still playing in the NFL right now. Yeah, man. There was a, there was that one crew of uh, Patrick Chung, Jarris Bird, Bird, Walter Thurman, and uh, TJ Ward was a youngin on that team. That that all that entire crew for NFL players, and Thurman would have had a longer career and been drafted higher had he not blown on his knee early his senior year. That that to me, actually, I mean, I think that factually, based on NFL draft position and NFL career, that's the greatest secondary Oregon's ever had. What Holland has that's different than all those guys is he's taller, he's bigger, he's rangier. Um, he clearly is super intelligent, which Bird and Chung and Ward and those guys were, and Thurman. Um, he's just a, a slightly different level of athlete because of his length and range. Um, so I, I, you know, I think he has a chance to be definitely at the worst in that category. And of course, you know, we, we can go back in history of all the great, I mean, Anthony Newman played 13 years in the NFL. 
Right. You know what I mean? He, and, he, Anthony, and Anthony Newman was a dog. Like, that guy was a hitter, a beast. <laughs> I'm not going to put Holland in that category yet, but he definitely has a chance to be mentioned amongst the great. But, I'm, you know, let's not get to the all-time thing because that list is long. Been a lot of good safeties at Oregon and DBs. He, he's at least Oregon's best DB prospect since probably Ifo was on the team. You know, Ifo would have been a first-rounder if not for the injury right before the uh, um, Rose Bowl. But, um you know who was a really under, underrated player in that secondary, too, from that same same era? Cliff – or not Cliff Harris, sorry. Cliff Harris was uh, pretty good, too. Uh, Troy Hill, who is still still in the league right yeah, now, Yeah, still in the league, yes. Um, yeah, it was always like, oh, it was like Ifo and Dargan and, you know, talking about those guys. And Troy Hill's managed to go out there and have, what is this, probably like a six-year NFL career now? That's yeah. that's pretty pretty darn good. When they were freshmen in 2011, Hill began the season as a starter and then – lost the job to Efo and then someone got hurt or something, but they both ended up being the stars the rest of the year and they kinda got lit up a little bit by Russell Wilson in the Rose Bowl. But they were they were freshmen and then they blossomed from there to become a really good tandem and obviously for that two thousand fourteen team they were pretty locked down. Last question here from headband CJ Verdell Stan at Mini Me Smitty eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> I love these people's names. Yeah. Uh, if Oregon played a full season the way the offense played at times yesterday and the way the defense and special teams played most of the game, what do you think Oregon's ceiling is this year? Uh, well, obviously, they're not going to face a front seven like that, probably, although we don't know what Washington has. They they did. If, they lost 10 starters, but they usually reload. Go ahead. Oh, I, I, if, if Oregon plays like that, they'll probably lose to Washington, but I – don't see them losing to anybody else on paper. You know, I, I think, uh, uh, unfortunately, the Pac-12 took a bit of a hit with uh, uh, JT Daniels going down at, with USC. So all of a sudden, you know, you don't you don't want to be like, oh, this is good for Oregon because the guy got injured. But that USC game looks a lot different, and I thought Oregon was favored in that one anyways. Um, Stanford's offense doesn't look fantastic, even though K.J. Costello is a good quarterback. Um yeah, I, I, I think uh, this is going to come down to uh, Oregon and Washington still. And I think that's probably what you and I both thought at the start of the season, too. Yeah. So, so Oregon's got to hope that Washington did not, you know, replace all the studs on that defense and that there'll be a little bit more resistance. Oregon won that game last year, but we all, I mean, come on, they got lucky. You know, they got just as lucky in that game as you could say Auburn got lucky or Stanford got lucky to beat Oregon. Uh, that missed field goal. I mean, come on, Washington should have won that game. So, <clears throat> I, that, that's that's such a, like a conveniently forgotten missed field goal in like Oregon lore. Oh know, yeah, but <laughs> but this is what all fans do. Everything that happened in favor of you should have happened. Everything that happened against you was bad right. luck or someone screwed it up or whatever. And we, you know, all we all everyone does that. Um, so no, I, every game on the schedule they can win, but they're not going to win every game. I don't think they're dominant. Like here's here's another thing too, and I, I this came up last year with me. Before I'm ever going to say an Oregon team is for sure going to win the conference and go to a playoff game, I have to see an Oregon team that's as good as the teams we saw win the conference right. and go to the playoffs. Is this team anywhere close to 2014? No, not even remotely. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's some talent there, but no, it's not close. So why am I supposed to believe it's going to do what that team did? Is this team better than 2010? No. So why am I going to believe this team's going to do what that team did? Or 2011, for that matter. So You know why you should believe it? Because the Pac-12 isn't as good as it was back then overall. No, 2010 and 11, the Pac-12, the Pac-10 sucked, dude. 2010 season ended with two teams ranked in the top 25. The peak Pac-12, but 2014, I'll give you. 2014-15 was peak Pac-12 with like five or six teams ranked um, during the season. So I agree with you later, but in early 
the Chip Kelly's era, the Pac-10 was brutal. Almost all those coaches got fired within three years of Oregon running through those teams. But anyway, so I just don't see the same level of team. So until I see that type of consistency, and that includes rushing the damn football. This is five times now under Cristobal they rushed for under 100 yards. You have to go back to 2009 to five, five, find five games where they rushed for 100 yards, and that matters. So no, um, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to win it for sure, but they got a shot. They have to improve. What are you working on this week, Aaron? Uh, I'm shifting gears to mostly Seahawks because the, the Seahawks start this this week. The Davion Clowney's in the house, which is going to add some spark and juice to this season. It's going to be very fascinating to watch. And I'm actually I'm going to finish up writing something here on those those pass plays, those drop back passes. Um, I'm going to sort of spell out how you know every time they drop back to look to go deep, either a too much pressure or b no one was open. So to ask Arroyo to dial up more of that is insanity right on well that, that'll be a good piece to read and everyone can follow aaron at aaron j fentress on twitter he'll tweet out when that story comes out uh as for me i'm going to have a look at uh with nevada coming into town uh um oregon running uh, oregon, oregon running back coach jim mastro had played a pretty prominent role in the uh, uh development of uh, nevada and the pistol uh uh, offense in the uh, mid mid to early 2000s there so going to have a look at that along with uh, going to have a reader mailbag so uh, if you go on the athletic uh, later today or tomorrow uh, submit some questions there and we'll do some deep dives um, you can follow me on twitter at tyson alger uh, remember for this podcast you can get 40 percent off for new subscribers if you go to theathletic.com forward slash it never rains we promise we'll make uh, the content worth it if this podcast is not <laughs> and uh, uh, remember, the, these Monday episodes are free. If you want our special Friday episode, uh, you have to be an athletic sub- subscri- subscriber. That's behind the paywall. And uh, please subscribe, rate, and download if you like this thing. Um, this is our third episode. We're still uh, kind of getting a little bit of the flow to it, but it's, it's something that I think we both really enjoy. And I think, uh, especially these Mondays, it's a little cathartic to kind of get the, uh, you know, just kind of get the last game out of your system before moving into uh, uh, the next week, which this week it's Nevada coming into town who, uh, um, had a pretty uh, spectacular comeback last week against Purdue, highlighted by a walk-on freshman kicker. Not to rub salt in the wound, Oregon fans nails a 56-yarder, and he is no longer a, a freshman kick or a walk-on kicker. He got scholarship. So could could Oregon lose this game? No, no, not no. remotely. Not remotely. No. Or, or, or Oregon's Oregon's going to beat him by 20. What was Nevada? I, yeah, I'm with you. What was Nevada's record last year? Do you remember off the top of your head, by any chance? Because they're pretty mm-hmm. good. Look, I mean, it's man, not- it's 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 been eight months of Auburn. I, I don't even I don't I don't even know who Oregon plays the rest of the season. It, it's a time for a com- it's time for a complete reset. But if you join us on Friday, we'll have more about Nevada, about some of these matchups, and uh, we'll be back uh, we'll be back then for another episode of uh, It Never Rains. <laughs>